what we, what we really want to do is we want to get more advocates for our freshwater species. They're not as pretty as the ocean species. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Which is always so frustrating when they're so important. You're like, oh, you're a yeah, bit They're plain. not as cute. You know, even the government of Canada used some of that data from all of these folks across Canada to make changes and actually ban some types of single-use plastics. When people go and spend time in nature and build that connection with water bodies, with a different ecosystem, you know, making friends with your neighbors in the water, they really start to notice when something's wrong. Hello, and welcome to Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating ideas in environmental education. We're here to share with you the best environmental education resources from across Canada and chat with their creators, digging in as to why they do this work, how they do it, and what you can do with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm the Wild Voices Program Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM for short, a member of Canada's non-profit outdoor learning store team, and owner of Stoked on Science, an education company and consultancy where I deliver and design environmental and science programs for K to adult across BC. And I'm another one of your hosts, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, a global network of environmental educators that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, and the podcast Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. You share what you know with others. So maybe that's an action you do. Maybe it's the new action you're trying out that month that you're going to get in the habit of doing. You know, using our voice is super, super important. And those are just five positive actions that you can do to have positive impacts on water and the planet. So we can all think to future generations and the health of our planet. We've only got the one planet with a finite amount of water constantly circulating. Okay, so I'm gonna just get things started and welcome you to uh, the Earthy Chats podcast. Uh, this episode, um, we're cross-pollinating ideas in EnviroEdge related to all things watery. Joining us are a few uh, very special and excellent and knowledgeable humans. Uh, we have Daphne Austin. She's the online specialist for online learning and ocean literacy with OceanWise. Through virtual programming, she connects others to the ocean, inspiring them to become OceanWise to make positive choices for ocean health. OceanWise itself is a globally focused not-for-profit conservation organisation on a mission to protect and restore the world's oceans. Uh, On the other side of things, we're moving from the oceans into the freshwater framing, and we have Kat Kavana, uh, who is the executive director of Water Rangers. She came up with the idea for Water Rangers after seeing her father struggle to understand water quality data for the lake they swam in. Kat designed the Water Rangers test kit so that it's easy and fun for everyone to get involved in water testing. And... Supporting her today as part of the Water Rangers team is Laura Gilbert. She is their community research coordinator. That means she helps run projects and supports the community of water testers using their kits. From webinars with first graders in the Yukon to excursions with after-school programs in Montreal, Laura loves to spark young learners' interests in science and caring for water. Hey. So welcome to everyone. (laughs) So water is everywhere. Uh, It's a part of us, it's a part of our land, a part of our culture and history. 
it's sacred to our indigenous peoples and we'd just like to take a moment to go round table and honour the traditional territories uh, that we live, work, recreate and utilise water on. Uh, so I'm Jade Harvey Beryl, uh, I'm based in Revelstoke, uh, which is the traditional and unceded territories of the Sinaiaks, the Shishwemet, uh, the Tanaha and the Okanagan Silks peoples. I'm Ian Shanahan with Green Teacher. I'm in southeastern Ontario, with which is Williams Treaty Territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. I'm Daphne, and I am in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm on the traditional ancestral and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Peoples. Really grateful to be on their lands today. I'm Kat. Water Rangers is based on the unceded territory of the Algonquin Asanabe people. And hi, I'm Laura, and I'm currently in Montreal, Quebec, which is the traditional unceded territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. Thank you for sharing. May truth and reconciliation come to all peoples. So depending where you are, winter is a season filled with wintry precipitation, but perhaps it's not the first season you think about uh, springs to mind when we're thinking about water. Uh, but the water cycle doesn't just stop because it's cold. The massive hydrological cycle uh, system linking the entire globe continues on, whatever the weather and through time. Uh, I like to think about the water that you drink today is the same water that dinosaurs were sipping out of puddles millions of years ago. And this episode is all about uh, why it's so important to learn about water and protect it. So we've brought in some heavy hitters uh, from all aspects of the hydrological cycle. We're covering liquid water, water in all its states, but fresh and saline or salty water. So Team Salty uh, is Daphne from OceanWise and Team Fresh, uh, we have Kat and Laura. Uh, not that we're pitting them against uh, each other in some kind of um, fight to the death boxing match of which water is more important. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, no, no fisticuffs. A um, little bit difficult um, when we are remote anyway. No, uh, so we're just going to keep it very uh, friendly all the way through. Uh, and the fact is, is that water and in all of its phases is linked. Uh, and we have these people here to talk with us about um, sharing the needs of our precious water on earth uh, and all the different aspects of that as we go through. Um, so welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm certainly very much in the old freshwater context being by the Great Lakes, Lake Ontario in particular. So fresh water is all around me. I actually have a bone to pick with the whole natural wonders of the world thing. Like how are the Great Lakes not part of that? Like I take it for granted, I think because I live here, but it's like, seriously, like this is miraculous stuff. Yet we don't make the list. So I don't know. I, I realize there's bias because I live here, but that's my little gripe. And I agree with you because, and all of the big, there's a lot of, um, post-glacial geomorphological landforms that I studied at university, things like drumlins that were created as the Laurentide ice sheet melted and and created the Great Lakes, right? And then left behind yeah, all I these grew like, up on a drumlin. sort of 
Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit nerdy about them. For those of you who don't know, um, you could Google Drumlin. It's like an egg-shaped landform that we have no idea if it's really created by the ice moving over or the flood water afterwards. And there's like this huge sort of quite aggressive debate um, with scientists about what actually causes them. But we know it's to do with water. But that could be a whole nother podcast. Love it. Yeah, there's actually a Drumlin right out the window here. But we'll, yeah, that sounds like good fodder for another episode. Well, let's talk, we'll sort of zoom out. We'll talk about the Earth generally. Obviously, this is a blue planet. Not. I don't want to get into any copyright issues with David Attenborough, heaven forbid. But obviously, the, the Earth has an incredible amount of water. And I thought just to sort of set the context, we would get into some of the stats. Even though I think a lot of people know this, it helps to kind of go back to this just to appreciate how profoundly blue this planet is. Let's start with our salty folks. That doesn't sound so good. Team Salty. Let's stick with Team Salty. And uh, let's just go through some of the basic stats about how much of the earth is ocean. Awesome. Well, I will definitely take that I've got, I'm a little bit salty as well. So I'll take that. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, the ocean, I'll, it is a lot of water on the planet, but all that water is still, like we were saying, and we'll talk about is still part of the hydrological system. So it's still going to be fresh at some point. It's going to be salty at some point. But, you know, a lot of the water on the planet is stored in the ocean. The ocean covers about 71% of our planet. And although we like to call it many oceans or largely five oceans, they, there aren't walls. So really, uh, it's just one ocean. And so that's how I like to talk about it. It's just one ocean, all that water constantly moving around together. But you know what? Nearly 2.4 billion people, about 40% of the world's population, live within 100 kilometers or 60 miles of the coast. So there's lots of people that are uh, fairly tied to those ecosystems and that ocean for giving them uh, many things to help them survive. Uh, a lot of that can be the beautiful biodiversity or ecosystems that we see. Uh, here along the BC coast, we see beautiful kelp forests that give us lots of ecosystem and habitat for many animals and life and other algae or phytoplankton, all of that giving us lots of oxygen for us to breathe, just like the forests on land. But about 50 to 80% of oxygen is produced by the ocean. So it's giving us a lot more than we might think. Yeah, it's at, at least every second breath we take is from the ocean. And it might be a lot more than that. You know, it might be three out of four or more breaths that we take. I mean, that to me is one of the most profound statistics on the planet. And I don't say that lightly. Like, I think the fact that we get at least half of all of our oxygen from the ocean is it's the kind of thing that just makes you pause in your tracks and almost like reassess life. Team Fresh? Yeah. That was a lot of really great information. I'm just going to add a little bit about uh, fresh water here. Um, so we do have so much water on Earth. We always hear about that. And Canada is especially gifted with water. Um, but of all of that water, only 2.5% of it is fresh water. And when we think about it, that still seems like it's not so bad. Um, but, but of that 2%, um, there's, a, there's only about 0.5% that is accessible to humans. So that means that the rest is in ice form a lot of the times. Um, so we can think about like Greenland frozen over, the polar ice caps, mountain tops that have glaciers. Um, and some of that water does become accessible when it melts. 
um, but not all of it is. Um, and also not all people live close to water. So that means that um, some water that would be accessible isn't close to where a lot of people live. So that makes it harder also to have access to water. Um, a lot, a lot of people do depend on ecosystems and rivers for food, um, for habitat. And I think that sometimes we forget that this little bit of fresh water, it's not just for human use, we're sharing it with ecosystems. So all of the plants, the insects and the animals that depend on it as well, uh, we have to keep them in mind. So we really don't have as much water for, for us humans as we think that we might have. It's true and you make a great point about sharing and the little creek j just by my house, all the little creek chub and the crayfish and the trout that live in there, I almost consider them my buddies. You know, they're, they're just part of home in a way. That's so great that you get to know all of these, these little critters that you share the ecosystem with. Because sometimes we, we tend to forget about them, but if they're right next to you and they're your neighbors, then, then you get to know them and that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's really cool. You know, um, this past weekend I did something called kick testing and it's yeah. really fun. Have you done this before? It's the best. It's, a, it's actually a really good workout. It was really cold. I was like, oh, this is going to be horrible because you have to reach in and grab some rocks from the bottom. But you basically, you get in there with your waders on and you kick rocks. And what you're trying to do is kick them into a net. And then you look in the net for all the little critters that are in it. So they're called macrobenthic invertebrates. And those are the bugs that live in our ecosystems. And they're the backbone of healthy rivers. Um, and there's... Uh, species in there that are really sensitive to pollution. And if they're not there, then we can know that uh, that river or that stream has maybe had a, a pollution event or something bad that's happened. So they become our sort of um, uh, alarm bells to let us know if there's problems in, in, in the rivers and streams. So the fact that they're your friends, I think is, uh, is, is great because they're basically all our friends. They're the, they're the reason when we have, we have like healthy streams and all that. So, yeah. yeah. I love me a side swimmer. <laughs> yes. I love doing macroinvertebrate studies and I use your kits to do this with students. I've never done kick testing and I think I could sell that to some of my older <laughs> students like, hey, we're going to go and kick rocks. And they'll be like, yeah, I can do that. Um, <laughs> but those macroinvertebrates as well are the food for where I live. We're particularly in love with Western toads and Western painted turtles and trying to protect their ever shrinking habitat. And um, those toads and turtles are like the janitors of the of the wetland ecosystem, just cleaning up all the muck. And without uh, those invertebrate little critters, they couldn't survive. And without the toads, then the birds of prey have nothing to eat. So it's it's just it's so connected. It's so important. Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast, produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, there are a lot of issues facing water, both at local scales, global scales, and everything in between. And uh, same sort of thing here. We'll go Team Salty first. What are some of the 
major issues, particularly on the saltwater side? There's definitely lots of challenges, and I'm sure we could talk about this for, you know, eons. Uh, but one of the biggest things I find talking to lots of youth uh, around Canada and other countries is that kind of feeling disconnected from nature, mm. uh, that our, you know, our actions don't have consequences or, well, it wasn't my, it wasn't me that did it. It's not my fault. Um, so I think that's kind of a really big challenge generally. Uh, but that also connects to that we're connected to water no matter where we are. I mean, even, you know, say you're in Calgary, there's the Bow River that flows right through there. That's going to connect to the Old Man River, to the South Saskatchewan River, into lakes like when, uh, Lake Winnipegosis and Manitoba and Winnipeg, and then over to the Nelson River, all the way over to Hudson's Bay and eventually into the Atlantic Ocean. So even if you're all the way in Calgary, you can affect the East Coast, you know, you can affect countries across the world. So there's that connection that we all have and uh, that, you know, connects to any pollution or anything that shouldn't be in these environments or water traveling all the way to the ocean. Uh, that includes, you know, physical pollution such as plastics and chemicals, as well as other things that we might not think of like noise pollution, uh, mm -hmm. which is becoming a larger threat mm -hmm. in the ocean in particular. So that can be sounds from boat, boat noises uh, and exploration, things like that. Am I right in thinking that I read somewhere that when, um, you know, traffic was shut down as part of the pandemic, that there was um, some animals, things like whales returning to areas that they've previously avoided uh, and they think it's all to do with the noise? Yeah, so there there were some uh, increases in sightings and uh you know, animals in certain areas. And there was a lot of thought, especially uh, just even around Vancouver with less shipping, because there's a huge amount of shipping here with lots of big ports. Uh, and right. yeah, there were a lot more sightings. Less noise means it's easier to get food and it's a, less, a lot less stressful. So I want to have a party too. <laughs> Whale party. <laughs> Whale party. On the climate change side of things, obviously this is top of mind. We just had COP26. Kat, anything you want to add on to that in terms of threats, water-related threats, especially associated with climate change? Yes. I mean, we have huge problems with our freshwater. There's been a, a really big decline in freshwater species. I think something like 73% decline in freshwater species. Um, you know, a lot of that comes from things like uh, we have a lot of dams that means that it's really hard for fish to move through but from a climate perspective what's been really interesting coming from uh, WWF uh, during that uh, that time is they released a report that showed that Canada's biggest carbon sink is uh, peatlands and wetlands in, um, in northern Ontario through to Manitoba and it's all it's all the water systems. These are very like boggy, wet, probably got lots of mosquitoes, maybe not the best place to go on holiday. But what they're doing is storing a ton of carbon, um, but they're also under threat of, um, of development, mining, those sorts of things are happening. So um, as far as freshwater systems and climate change, so you have the problem that 
you know, fish can't move because they can't get around dams. Then you have um, the problem of more floods and more droughts, meaning that there, you know, there just isn't that much water in these systems or there's way too much. Um, and then you right. have all sorts of problems with um, um, development, especially say near you um, is uh, in Ontario, they're um, paving over wetlands. They're they're building onto these areas that have been so important for protecting uh, the rest of our ecosystems. So water systems, I, I like to think of them as the arteries um, for all of our ecosystems. And if you don't have healthy water systems, then you don't have anything. You don't have healthy trees. You don't have healthy animals. Um, you don't have, and you need them um, to flow into those spaces between uh, freshwater systems and ocean systems. Um, those are very, very productive areas where a lot of animals uh, depend on um, really healthy ecosystems for, for their survival. So, there's tons of there's tons of issues going along with that. Um, there's lots of problems with water scarcity when it comes to agriculture. A lot of the prairie provinces, I don't know if you heard this, but they couldn't grow uh, hay for their animals in Saskatchewan uh, this summer because of the droughts. And so a lot of the Ontario farmers were sending hay to them. And that's a water mm -hmm. issue, you know? So every single system is is interconnected and um, resilient water systems are going to be a huge thing for climate change and every drop of water that flows by where i live goes downriver to where laura is and laura you live in an area with a huge population and finding that balance of sharing water resources has been a major challenge what else can you speak to in terms of that well i think we see it in urban centers and a little bit as to what Kat was saying, you know, Montreal used to be mostly farmland, even just 40, 50, mm -hmm. maybe more like 70 years ago, it was mostly farmland. Where I was, was actually a huge melon farm and they grew uh, Montreal's melons was what Montreal was known for in the area where I am now. Um, so there is a lot of competing interests from different, different, um, different groups. So agriculture, humans, and like we said, ecosystems. Um, but I think people are becoming more and more aware of the different issues, especially in Montreal, just a few years ago, I think it was in 2016, there was the big Flushgate issue. I don't know if some of you might have heard of it. Oh, yes. That, yeah, yeah. Um, so they had to repair a sewage system. And during the repairs, they were going to um, pretty much just let out unfiltered raw sewage in the St. Lawrence around Montreal, and it was going to you know, flow down and everything. And there were huge concerns and it. it really made the population aware of how we treat our sewage and understanding that even when the sewage plant was gonna be completed, our sewage treatments are just not that great um, around water systems and how much that can impact the system. So I'm seeing a lot more of awareness. So I think that's good. And I think like in BC at the moment, um, with the devastating flood events that we've had um, uh, to do with these atmospheric rivers uh, occurring um, and with more precipitation falling as rain rather than snow predicted for areas like us that are historically wet, but that snow comes in and it gets stored and then it's slowly released into the environment. Things like wetlands, which we have, I think we have just 1% 
um, of all the wetlands are in BC, they act as these storage, these sort of holding tanks of slowing that flow into the rivers. Um, so it's it, it's all connected in one place and 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 temporally and spatially. And I think that that's um, hopefully something that you know connects with people and policymakers in for sort of protecting water in the future. Yeah, I know that here in BC, there's been a lot of talk of that recently with the the flooding that's been happening and. And yeah, we don't have quite the same level of those ecosystems that can help us out um, or areas that can be storing that extra water. So, you know, you see videos of some of the streams or rivers nearby and they're, you know, just waters rushing down and they're, you know, they're so much wider than they are. Or, you know, there's a, a river a little ways uh, kind of east of uh, northeast of Vancouver, uh, Merritt, which the river just decided to go straight through the town down one of the streets because it was so powerful. So water, you know, it's going to do what it wants to do. And we've got to figure out how we can, you know, work with water to help us both. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We're bringing up with climate change. We hear often that wet areas are getting wetter and dry areas are getting drier. So Kat brought up Saskatchewan and now we're hearing about BC, but we often don't think about how changing from you know cold frozen water to liquid water like jade is bringing up can really have devastating impacts also on the ecosystems it can all be rather overwhelming all of the resources featured in this podcast plus many more for students and educators alike can be found online at the outdoor learning store visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer from waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. I guess if we sort of look at a national scope, obviously there are unique challenges in each part of Canada, but if you had to sort of prioritize what should Canadians keep in mind in terms of water and their relationship with water? Let's start again on the saltwater side with Daphne. What would you list as the priority items that everybody should sort of have in the back of their mind or ideally the front of their mind? Uh, There's so much that we should really be thinking of, but uh, one that I would love to remind everyone of is that Canada has the longest coastline in the world. So we are very connected with water. Uh, You know, we have a lot of fresh water as well, but we also have a lot of coastline. The coastline is, you know, over 243,000, yeah, 243,000 kilometers long. So we have a huge connection to the ocean and therefore the entire uh, water cycle, all that water on the planet. So we really need to be responsible about how we're treating it. And that goes to, you know, any connection to climate change or any connections to pollution, uh, you know, even, Uh, our food resources uh, in terms of seafood, things like that. But, you know, anything you put down your drain could end up in an ecosystem, just like we've been talking about with connections to freshwater and saltwater. 
So there's great ways that, you know, we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure about how you can be monitoring our water quality. Uh, we at OceanWise have done that a little bit along the coast of BC with our pollution tracker, trying to check on which pollutants we're finding in certain areas and maybe working backwards to find those sources and how we can minimize that. So that can be uh, chemicals as well as things like microplastics that we might be finding in animals like mussels and clams and oysters and even more. So there's lots of different things to take into consideration. And in terms of the future, like looking ahead and I think one of the things that we're doing a lot more now with a lot of ecological issues is future casting and looking at what is the ideal future that we can aspire to and drive towards so that it's not just talking about the negative it's saying yes we have some challenges but this is where we want to get to we have a, a tangible target what can we do in terms of that future casting and what are some best practices with regards to harvest and our relationship with species in waterways yeah, there's so many different relationships that I think we should be working on with nature and water. Uh, one of the ones that I think we can really work on together is uh, sustainable fishing and uh, just agricultural practices in general. And there are some easy ways to do that if you're just looking to have a small impact, you know, on a daily basis, such as looking for ocean-wise certified sustainable seafood items. So there's many, many participating grocery stores across Canada and restaurants as well. And you can look for our OceanWise uh, symbol on those menu or uh, seafood items. And that just means that we've done homework for you. We've, uh, in our you know, way of looking at data and those collection practices, that it's a smarter choice for the ocean and therefore the planet as a whole. And there's many ways to look at that for other items as well even just looking at minimizing how much we are uh, consuming. So how many items we're purchasing, which can create less of a need for more boats, creating less noise pollution. There's so many connections to just our consumption on a daily basis that can really help. Or even uh, talking to friends and family or others about what you know. And even if you want to write or talk to call up a representative that you know uh, to tell them what you'd like to see for the future because there's small things we can do but communicating is going to be a huge one for larger scale change absolutely kat anything on the sustainable fishing side you want to add on to that well i think one of the things that i think about all the time with fishing is that i absolutely love hearing that people are passionate about fishing because they end up being the best water stewards. Um, they go to the water often. They know that uh, to have a good fish stock, you need to have areas where that they can spawn. Um, so that means um, we call it the riparian zone. So that's the, the area right next to the water. And 90% of life in, um, in freshwater starts in this riparian zone. So the shoreline and, and that little bit of in the, in, in the water. Um, so I think as far as, as, as fishing goes, if you like fishing, I say go and, and go fishing. Uh, make sure that you know the rules around it. 
um, be very, very responsible fish. You know, we don't want to be harming the fish if it's catch and release, um, as well as, um, you know, participate in uh, community monitoring programs. We, we really need to know in some cases um, if, if you do spot certain types of fish, um, it's really important that we, we get to know that. There's certain um, species, for example, the American eel, it breeds in the Sargasso Sea, which is near, uh, it's in the Caribbean somewhere. And then it yeah. swims up the coast and then goes down the St. Lawrence and then it tries to go up the Ottawa River. Um, but there are 17 major dams on that river. And so it's really hard for these fish to, to swim up and down. So um, I think they said something like 98% of them are gone now. So I think what we, what we really want to do is we want to get more advocates for our freshwater species. They're not as pretty as the ocean species. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, which, maybe. which is always so frustrating when they're so important. You're like, oh, you're a yeah, bit they're plain. They're not as cute. They're, Goodness, they're, if only yeah. I had a stripe or yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. People put posters so, up of stripey things. <laughs> yeah. We need more colorful freshwater fish, but they're um, they're not as colorful because they they have really good camouflage. So um, unfortunately, they're not as they're not as cute. Although I do really think that um, that like some of the the the, um, the musky and stuff like that, they look kind of look like they're smiling and they have the teeth. So it's kinda, yeah, kinda cute. and darters are awesome. Darters are really colorful. Yeah, like in their breeding colors, they're amazing. They're fast though. Oh boy, those little buggers are fast. If you want to see a strange fish living in freshwater, I think everyone should look up the sheepfish. Um, we were introduced yeah. to them when we went cat in Lake Erie. You remember? One of our volunteers was telling us about sheepfish, and they literally have the mouth of a ship, sheep sorry, with the big teeth and everything sticking out. They look a little like a donkey sheep. That's a special one. Oh, I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Are there any areas where we can plug data gaps? I know, Laura, you can speak to this. Like, we think we know so much, but you dig into the stats and it's kind of like, maybe not so much. Yeah, so we're talking about forecasting, but I think that to really understand where we're going in the future, we have to understand where we start from and what things were like in the past. And unfortunately, we really don't have that much of what we call baseline data for fresh water bodies in Canada. So just trying to understand what, what the normal is for a water body. So just like humans, you know, they have good days, they have bad days, and they have normal days as well. So you have to go and test regularly to understand what their normal is. And there isn't that much historical data. And there's actually a really good uh, watershed report from WWF Canada. And it was just published in 2020. And they found that of the 167 sub-watersheds in Canada, a hundred of them, we don't have enough data for to understand if they're even healthy. And that's a huge amount. Absolutely. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. Okay, so 
whenever we talk about ecosystems or climate uh, in in this day and age, we do have to talk about impacts. We do have to talk about um, sort of negative outcomes because we're seeing them. Um, and we've identified a lot of issues and concerns that either we've known about for a long time and we're doing research on and then or we know about but we don't have the data to really investigate in the in the real world but part of what we always do here is is and what we i think are all trying to do in our work is to actually take action solutions whether that's ourselves yeah or with uh, community groups or with uh, the students that we teach um so let's let's look look to the future what can we do what are the things that we are doing and what are things that we can do potentially in the future um, to actually, you know, help mitigate climate change or, or see positive change? Daphne, what, what's going on in the ocean world that we can, we can be happy about, look forward to? I think there's lots that we can be happy about. There's lots of great programs and a lot of youth that are really sharing what they care about and what they like to see. Um, but I think that there's a lot of work to be done and it's going to take, you know, everyone together. So the more that we can really communicate with others and share, you know, why or how we can make a difference, I think that's going to be the strongest thing we can do. Uh, but there's, you know, lots of things that we can do every day in our lives. If you're looking for something small, all the way up to communicating with your representatives and, uh, or even companies, if you know a company that you love their products, but you know, you don't like certain aspects of how they're getting that to you or the packaging or uh, some of the ethical uh, means behind them, you know, communicate with them. You are voting with your dollar every day. So uh, being able to communicate with them, there's a, actually a good chance that they might listen, especially if lots of people do that. So definitely using your voice is something I would say. Uh, but I do love to do a little bit of a game sometimes. So Ooh, everyone wants games. to... Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love to do a little bit of never have I ever, or in this case, I have ever. Uh-oh. I know. <laughs> but we'll start with we'll start with a hand with five fingers. Uh, and pretty much every anything that you have done or do do, uh, you can take away a finger for that thing I say. So one thing we can do is have containers that you can wash and reuse for lunch, for snacks, for leftovers. You do anything like that, reusing containers or something else that works, you can take away a finger. Uh, if you ever purchase or receive secondhand clothing or hand-me-downs, any type of reusing clothing, you can take away a finger. If you have participated or led a shoreline cleanup, so collecting uh, safe litter to pick up from a shoreline, that can be anywhere where water meets land. So it could be near a drain. It could be on a schoolyard anywhere counts. If you've done that, take away a finger. If you've written a letter to or called a representative or company and shared what you care about or you'd like to see. And then last but not least, you share what you know with others. So maybe that's an action you do. Maybe it's the new action you're trying out that month that you're going to get in the habit of doing. You know, using our voice is super, super important. And those are just five positive actions that you can do to have positive impacts on water and the planet. So we can all think to future generations and the health of our planet. We've only got the one planet with a finite amount of water. It's constantly circulating and connecting us all together. So there's lots we can do. 
Oh, that's so empowering. That's so nice. And I think maybe, you know, like we're sort of a, a gold standard of water lovers. So we all got rid of uh, our fingers into fists. Um, but yes, even like you said, just walking back from school, if you see a drain and you see some, you know, cigarette butts or a piece of garbage in it, you can you can pick it up and make a real difference. Um, that's fantastic. And I know that, um, you know, myself and what I do, I run programs about water and watersheds and and we always do a shoreline cleanup with our students and um they take a great amount of pride uh in that environmental stewardship from kindergarten up to grade 12 so um yeah thank you for your inspiration um our fresh water oh sorry Daphne carry on uh, I was just going to also say, especially if you participate in a great Canadian journaling cleanup, you can actually track what you're collecting and put that, enter that into our database. And those numbers at the end of the year or that data through the years that it's been running actually has been used in quite a few cases to create bylaw changes or, uh, you know, even the government of Canada used some of that data from all of these folks across Canada uh, to make changes and actually ban some types of single-use plastics. So it really helps you're actually, you know, making change with those activities. And you can just go to shorelinecleanup.org and enter your data there. Uh, I think it was what, over 3,000 cleanups happened in 2019. So there's a lot happening. Yeah, be, be a good statistic rather than a negative one be a part of action um team fresh what, what are we doing to keep our fresh water fresher well what water rangers does we've mentioned this we do have these test kits to help people test water quality to get some of that baseline data that we're missing um, but i think that what's really interesting is that we're seeing that when people go and spend time in nature and build that connection with water bodies with a different ecosystem you know making friends with your neighbors in the water they really start to notice when something's wrong and they're more likely after to act to protect the water. So when we send people out water testing with our different programs, it's a bit of a snowball effect. They start with water testing and they're like, hey, like I'm noticing a lot of trash here. Maybe I should join a shoreline cleanup or hey, there's like some pollution here. I'm gonna try to come contact a local watershed group and try to find out what's happening. Maybe they know about it. Maybe I can get some information. So it's really a snowball effect, which is nice. So I think working on that connection is great. And like you, Jade, I do a lot of um, work in classrooms. So with kids really young to um, much older, and I'm really seeing a shift in the education system throughout Canada in uh, at what age kids are learning about environmental problems. So it's really giving me hope that we're reaching them younger and they're getting the education they need to make these changes happen for the future. And I think even as something as simple um, as like with your tiny test kits, it's like giving kids a, a thermometer, like, yeah. like absolutely even giving a kid a thermometer to look at water temperature and explaining how that can impact on reproductive cycles or um, learn about if uh, you there's deforestation on the shorelines and losing the shade that that can provide for fish breeding habitats, things like that. How kids are able to visualize the system and their greater connection to it. It's, it's, it's quite 
magical to see. Uh, and so anyone can be a citizen scientist. I start all of my water things with just like a picture of someone in a white lab coat. And I'm like, who's a scientist? And then the, the following slide is you. Who are any of you? Um, so yeah, I'm quite passionate about that. That also when we do water testing, um, we turn everyone into a scientist. And all scientists do is ask questions and trying to figure out the answers to questions. And that's what we need. We need a globe of people asking questions. And then if they get an answer they don't like, trying to fix it. So loving your work for sure. That's awesome. I have I have one activity that I'd like to get people to do this winter, because I know this Ooh. is coming out in winter and maybe we can't, we're not going swimming probably. <laughs> You're no. really intense. <laughs> Um, but one of the biggest problems with fresh water in our cities is road salts. So what happens with road salts is where do you think the salt goes when it uh, dissolved? It all goes into our little streams. And um, they did a study and they found one of the streams in Toronto was almost as salty as the ocean. And that came from road salts. So... You know, you can use, we have a conductivity meter and that will help you determine salt. We also have a salinity meter that does uh, the salinity levels for higher levels. So if you're really urban, you probably need a salinity meter. So conductivities for fresh water and then salinities for ocean water. But I want to challenge all of you to reduce the amount of salt that you put on your sidewalks and your driveways. Um, they said that for a square meter, you don't need more than a teaspoon. So if you notice that people are really layering it on thick, maybe have a talk with them and say that actually scientists have shown that one teaspoon is just as effective as a lot more. And salt doesn't work when it's below minus five. So you really need to switch to sand uh, for your traction. So really choosing your right thing. We, I, I mean, we want to be safe, of course. But if everyone used 50% less salt, imagine how much better off our freshwater systems would be. So that's my challenge. I love it. And that collaborative thing of if everybody does it, of, of the impacts that can happen, that's unreal. Um, I'd just like to say that if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about what these amazing organizations are doing and the people that you're chatting we're chatting to today are doing uh, you can find oceanwise at ocean.org and water rangers at waterrangers.ca and you can find water rangers test kits uh, at the outdoor learning store that's outdoorlearningstore.ca so uh, there's lots of opportunities and we also have some books and resources that would might help you delve deeper into your water research and teaching practices Lots of swag for endless hours of outdoor fun. Absolutely. It's amazing. I've, I've said this before, I think, when we've talked about test kits. It's like grade 9, 10, 11s on their phones. Very not excited about getting involved. <laughs> but actually give them a trash bag and give them a competition to see who can collect the most trash at the shoreline. Or get them on a testing pH and looking at, numbers on the digital uh, conductivity meter or getting them um, to do color changes with dissolved oxygen where they have to like break glass ampules and be all sort of gangster and stuff they absolutely love it and they'll become extremely extremely engaged and uh, the learning just takes on a whole new level well this earthy chat has moved nicely downward from the highlands we've entered into some rivulets and into some rivers 
and we are about to enter the ocean, the great blue and wide beyond. So it is time for final thoughts, and we're going to go around the table, even though we're not actually at a table. We're at many tables all across the country, but let's start with Daphne from the OceanWise side. Final thoughts or words of inspiration? I would just say that, you know, we can all remind each other that, you know, water is life, that we, we need water. We need both fresh and salty on this planet. They, all of it has really important ecosystems. We've talked about many of them today and our actions on water, wherever we are in that moment, doesn't just impact us. It impacts the entire world. So if we want to protect ourselves, we better protect our water. (laughs) Nicely put. And as I transition to fresh water, I should also put a shout out for all the brackish water out there. You are not forgotten. And, you know, salt marsh lamb in the UK where the, they put the sheep on the on the brackish water and they get this incredible flavor. Um, we, we support you. Final thoughts from Laura. I think that I might end with a little challenge. We've been talking about challenges and games. I'm going to I'm going to say if you're listening to this, why don't you take a few minutes and go for a walk? and try to go to a water body. Maybe you have to take a drive, but that's okay. Just go spend some time next to water and try to notice something new you haven't noticed before. Take a moment, look around. Are you seeing a new species of plant or animal you haven't seen? If it's winter, are you seeing some birds that are you know, still nesting around there, making their homes there? What can you notice and what can you share with someone else after about this water body? I shall take you up on that challenge. And final word to Kat. I was going to say the same thing as Laura, but I, I, I do think, you know, we're all, we're all about action. Um, and I think that that's really important. So, you know, maybe water testings for you, maybe shoreline cleanups for you, maybe, um, you know, switching your family and your whole community to sustainable fishing, um, uh, uh, fish in your diet is your thing, but I want you to find your thing. And I want you to uh, to choose it and to do good for water. So um, I think we all have a part to play. And uh, it's when we do it together, uh, that effort's going to just expand. Oh, that's lovely. Become a it. watery champion, whatever <laughs> water that looks like. Um, I'm quite sad that we didn't manage to pitch you against each other. But um, yeah. that we've come into this beautiful community of, of water lovers, um, which was always always the way it was going to go. Uh, but I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your wisdom and expertise. Again, that's ocean.org to find out about OceanWise, waterrangers.ca to learn about water rangers and the work they're doing, and uh, the outdoorlearningstore.ca um, to look at some of the resources that you might use in your future water testing and research lives. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Kat, for joining us on this Earthy Chat. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. This was great. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars. And cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources including professional development opportunities, grant information, and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stotonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas 
and another fun earthy chat. And scene. Oh, I need and to good timing. Snap. I'd just like to say, I didn't actually acknowledge it, because it was so slick that your watery sort of um, metaphor of flowing us from beginning to end was beautiful, Ian. <laughs> yeah, it I like that. Lovely. Yeah. It was magic. Yeah. Um, and I also, I don't Cheesy, know, probably. But... Yeah, no, not at all. And I should pitch the Green Teacher subscription to the magazine as well, so, but we can add that on at the end. Yeah. Um,